This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. You ready for Thanksgiving? You excited about it? Yeah, all right, yeah. Get to see family, friends, eat turkey. How many of you are running in the turkey trot? Anybody running the turkey trot? Come on, yeah, let's do it. I'm going to be out there. A couple of my sons are going to be out there. Hope to see you there too. It is going to be a blast. Who cares what the weather's like? Let's just run it, have fun, and then uh, enjoy Thanksgiving Day. Well, uh, today we're talking about a grateful heart. And so if you have a Bible, if you've got a reading device or whatever, or if you just want to pull out your praise today, grow, we're going to find our text for our time together today printed there, and, and it's from Philippians, and it's the opening lines of Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes a prayer, and it's in that framework that that we want to sort of look and turn to today. Here we go. Every time, Paul says, you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I am so pleased that you have continued on in this with us, believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you heard it right up to the present. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started a great work in you would keep at it, bringing it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. It's not that all all fanciful for me to think this way about you. My prayers and hopes have deep roots in reality. You have, after all, stuck with me all the way from the time I was thrown in jail and when Paul writes that, he's talking about being thrown in their jail, in the jail of, of Philippi, put on trial and came out of it in one piece. All along you have experienced with me the most generous help from God. He knows how much I love and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ does. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. It was a Thanksgiving day, and the man who had been strong, now feebled by age, stood at the head of the Thanksgiving table to offer a prayer of Thanksgiving. Normally, he would have turned to his minister's son or to somebody else sitting around that table and asked them to pray. But on that day when he stood with knees that had been replaced and arms that were losing their strength, he stood and he commanded the space. 
and he began to pray. He began to recount the things that had happened over the course of the past year. As he got to the point where he was recounting the reality that one of his grandsons had had Hodgkin's disease, his voice began to crack. And with humility, with a tender humility that he had never expressed before, he just gave thanks to God. And gratitude began to well up like a spring. He began to thank God for the other events of the year. And then when he said amen, he sat down. Those who were gathered in that room around that table, instead of digging into the feast that was laid out on the tables before them, they began to wait. There was this pregnant pause that interrupted this, the tradition that had always been. Because in that moment and in that instance, it was like a veil had been pulled back and they were invited in to watch a play that they had never seen before. It was like they were watching Jacob wrestle with God way out in the wilderness, but it was right here. Over the past year, Jacob had been wrestling with God. This man who seldom ever prayed, even in the midst of his family, revealed this utter and tender connection with God. <clears throat> you ever been in a space where lightning had been flashing all around and you know that in that space the air begins to change because there's more oxygen molecules in the air and you just begin to breathe it in. In that space of a man who is nearing the finish line where his sometimes off, sometimes on story with God began to express gratitude that God is always present. It was like lightning flashed and the air was changed. And whatever there was to be talked about that Thanksgiving day suddenly didn't matter because the hearts in the room were moved to gratitude and gratefulness. As I turned to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, and as I read his opening lines, I was transported back into that room where I watched my grandfather stand at a table and pray like I had never heard him pray before. See, because in the midst of his life, there were a lot of losses. But somehow, in the midst of wrestling with God, he began to count up how God had been close and how God had been near. And what began to flow 
was a gratitude that nobody had expected and nobody had seen before. As Paul takes up a quill or a pen or whatever he does to compose a letter to the church at Philippi, he too faces this reality that he's nearing the finish line in his life. Things have not always gone the way that he would have imagined. In fact, the place from which he has to write is another prison cell. This time not at Philippi, but at some other location. His health is waning. His strength is depleting. And yet he takes up a pen because he has a friend, a friend whose name is Epaphroditus, who has been traveling with him and journeying with him. In fact, Epaphroditus had a, if you read longer in the, in the book of, of Philippians, you'll find that Epaphroditus has had his own health struggles and trials. He was to the point of death, and then he came back. And Epaphroditus had a heart to go back to his own people. And so Paul says, Epaphroditus, you have been faithful and good, and you've been more than I could have imagined, and so I want to send you back. And so in that task of wanting to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi, Paul takes up a pen, and he begins to write. And as he does, what begins to spill out upon the pages is a prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude. Because over the, the storyline in Paul's mind that he thinks about as he thinks about this church that he's sending Paphroditus back to, as he's writing a letter back to, he begins to think about all that they've done and all that's taken place and all that's transpired. And his heart just begins to be stirred with thanksgiving and joy. Paul knows what it was like when he first went into Philippi and he tried to proclaim the message of, of the gospel of Christ. He knows what it was like to be beaten and put in a prison. He knows what it was like to have charges brought up against him that were untrue charges. And yet he also knows what it's like to have people, attentive people, listen to the message of the gospel of Jesus. And he knows what it's like to see those people with open arms be receptive to him. And he knows what it's like to have people care for him deeply and, and wonderfully. And he knows what it's like because the people of Philippi were like this. They, they said, God is that loving and kind and good towards us. And they had their hearts turned on to, to who God was. And so they said, Paul, whatever it is that we can, we can do, however we can contribute to this work that God has laid out before you, we want to do it. We want to be a part of it. And so when Paul made another visit and he said, you know, the, there's a drought and there's a famine and our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are severely, uh, they, they've got a lot of severe conditions that they're facing. The church at Philippi, though they had almost nothing, said, Paul, we want to take up an offering. We want to bless those who have blessed us with the message of Christ. And so they, they took up an offering and they sent it along. When Paul said, I need somebody who can journey with me, they said, Epaphroditus, you're one of our valued treasures, but we want to send you along to Paul. So Paul, thinking about, thinking about this place where there's sort of a collision, right? Between everything that can go wrong on a journey and then everything that can go right. He begins to write. And people have said, they've looked at his letter and they said, this is a letter of joy. 
Because Paul is looking at what God does in the midst of a situation. And he's looking at how people have been responding to God. And Paul is just filled up. And so out of his pen, out of his heart, there gushes this letter of joy, this letter of confidence, this letter of like, I cannot believe what's happening in your midst. I cannot believe what the goodness of God is that I see taking place and transpiring among you. And Paul simply says, where I'm at really doesn't matter. What you need to know from me is that there is this profound and incredible heart of joy that I have. I wonder, as we are preparing to go into Thanksgiving, how your heart is. Is your heart full of joy? Are you thinking about things um, where God has drawn close to you and you've seen people experiencing God in new ways? Is your heart full of joy? I have to tell you this morning that my heart is full of joy and my heart has been just sort of moving from joy to joy because of a number of things that I get to see and I get to be a part of and get to watch from kind of almost like the sidelines. A couple of weeks ago, last couple of weeks, you've been seeing a picture similar to this. This is a picture of, of the graduation night of our of the Jobs for Life event that took place here about two and a half weeks ago. And, and for sure, we have a lot to celebrate about the people, about the students who were a part of Jobs for Life and about how they entered into a journey. But one of the things that I got to watch and I got to be a part of was experiencing the journey of the people who, weren't, who aren't in the blue up there, the people who were the champions, the people who were mentors, as they is they heard about this calling and this task to be mentors, and they said, I'll do it. And then they embarked on something that they really didn't know anything about. But they said, we'll take up the cause to go on a journey to be a mentor to somebody else. And I got to hear their stories. And a couple of stories that I really loved, I got to hear a lot of, was the story of Bill McNeil and the story of Kim, um, Kim Hammonds. And I got to walk with them extensively. For, for a long period of time. And along the way, it was fascinating to listen to, to Bill talk because Bill found himself hearing about this opportunity. And, and God just kind of drew near to Bill. And he said, Bill, there's this program called Jobs for Life, and it's a program that has a lot of possibility to make change in somebody else's life. And, and it was like God whispered into Bill's ear. And Bill couldn't let it go. In some meetings, he kept bringing it back up to the table, and he kept investigating it. And he said, you know, there's a place down in Branson that's doing it. Why don't we take a group down there and look at it? And I'm like, all right, Bill. And, and Bill kept getting into the lead on this, on this deal. And, and, and Kim wasn't too far behind. And, and at the end, Bill said, you know, the students and the champions who went through Jobs for Life, they put about 700 hours of time into this endeavor. A significant amount of time. And Bill put a bunch of time into it too. And he said, I retired because I didn't think I wanted to work this hard. But there is something profoundly satisfying about seeing God do stuff in other people's lives. And I got to sit back and I got to listen to Bill's story and I got to see Bill take on that burden and carry that burden of God and my heart simply began to sing, and it does sing. This last Thursday, 
Kim was telling me that, that the champions were going to get together and they were going to have a sort of a debrief session. And she said, but, but I didn't invite you because I didn't think you needed to be a part of it. I said, you mean to tell me you didn't think I was necessary? And she said, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that you're not necessary. I said, well, I'm really glad that I'm not necessary. Because you all have gifts and abilities and capacities and you are carrying this burden, this burden that God has whispered into your ear and you need to know that my heart sings and our hearts all ought to sing because people are hearing God's burden for other people and they're taking up the challenge and our hearts sing. There's another picture I want to share with you. This is a picture of the Grow to Know kids, the kids who come to Grow to Know uh, this picture was taken on a Wednesday. Uh, at the end of chapel time, the kids here are getting ready to put on a Christmas program for their parents. One of the things that we know is that kids, whether they're in our Sunday kids ministry program or they're part of Grow to Know, kids have a profound influence on parents, right? They, they can learn things and teach things to parents just as parents do the, the opposite to them. So um, Wednesday is a great time if you want to see some beautiful things in action, you can come here because the kids gather for about a 10-minute devotional time within this space. It takes them about 40 minutes to get in and out, but they have about 10 minutes in this space where they sing some songs and they hear a, a, a story from the scriptures. They hear about how God loves them and God has, has a call on their life, each of their lives, and, and they learn how to pray and they get to do that. And then they've been adding this component about putting together a Christmas program for their parents. And as I watch all that, I get to watch that from the outside, from out, out in the foyer or from the pew. And my heart sings for the staff of Grow to Know, for the team that is there that says, we have this passion, we have this gift of God that is entrusted to us, and we get to share it with young kids. And I go, you are taking up the burden of God because he sees... Uh, the, he sees other people and he loves other people and he's wanting to bless others and my heart sings because people are partnering with what God is up to. There's another picture here. This is a picture from over in the outreach center. The, the wall there is the prayer wall and, and somebody's composing a prayer and they're taking a new step in prayer by putting it into the wall. Uh, for the past several weeks, we've gone through a series, a, a, a prayer series here at Schweitzer, and, and lots of people along the way have jumped into that, and, and while they've been in the midst of it, they've come to these places where God just seems to say, would you like to take a new step in prayer with me? Would you like to step into a place where you've never been? Maybe it's praying for somebody else, or maybe it's praying out loud in the midst of, of other people, or maybe it's, it's having a, a prayer partner. But lots of people have come to a place where God simply has been inviting them into a new place of prayer. One of the stories that I, that I really love is, is a guy who's been a part of praying. I mean, and he's had this, this depth of prayer life in his life for a while. But then he heard that we needed some people to pray during the food pantry hours. And so he began to embark on being a person to pray during the food pantry. And in the midst of that, he said, you know, I come away hearing these stories and saying a prayer, but I don't know that I have the capacity within me to pray as I should. 
So this last week or a week ago, he showed up on an extra day. He said, I want to see how somebody else prays. Because I think that I'm in this space where God is just inviting me to learn and to grow in prayer. And I think to myself, this is the ministry of the body of Christ. This is what, this is what pastors and people who are called to not just preach, but to equip the saints. This is what we're made for, and we get to see it, and, and our heart sings because people are hearing the heart of God, and they're carrying the burdens of God, and it's like joy just fills our hearts. Paul's heart is filled up, and it's overflowing, and he's writing to the Philippians and he'll use the word joy in this letter more than in any other letter he writes. He just says, I love what God is doing in you. You know, when, um, when we gather at Thanksgiving time, we, we can do what, what Paul could have done when he wrote that letter. We could see the circumstances of things around us because he was writing from a prison cell. And we could lament how things are going and trust me, this Thanksgiving, there's going to be enough, enough things to lament, enough things in the news, enough things happening in, in our world that it could be a time of lament. But Paul says, no, I see what God is doing, and I rejoice in it. And I see what God has been doing in your life, and I rejoice. And there's, I can't help but singing and praying and giving thanks and having a heart of gratitude. Then... As Paul writes all that, he, he comes to a little pivot point, and he pivots just a little bit. Because as he's been praying with thankfulness, he begins to pray then a prayer of anticipation. Because the prayer just sort of shifts. Because he says, you know, you've loved, and you've ex extended yourself, and you've done all these things. But then he seems to say, but there's more for you to do. There's Places in your life where you can grow more. And I love what Eugene Peterson says because he's, he, he sort of translates it like this. He says, you can grow in love. You can grow in understanding not just a sentimentality about love, but you can learn to engage your head and your heart and all of your faculties in loving Jesus and in showing Jesus. It's like Paul is saying, um, I may be nearing the the end of the finish line in my life. But there is so much more for you to do. So John Wesley, reading this prayer, he said it's, it's like this. It's like Paul says, you've had a fire and it's been a fire of love and I want you to keep adding more love to that fire. He says this, this prayer, if, if it's like Paul says, there's never enough love, there's never enough desire, there's never enough passion for God that you can have where you say, I finally come to the, to the end point. No, Paul says, keep adding to it. Take the love of God, the passion of God that you have, and keep extending it, keep working it, keep expressing it. Put love into action. Um, last week, Pastor Bob talked with us about generosity and about having generous hearts. And he talked to us out of the book of, of Exodus, and he talked about how there was this call of God to to bring gifts and things so that the tabernacle of God could be constructed. And at the end of that story, Moses had to simply stand up and say, enough, enough, enough. We've got everything we need for the tabernacle. 
um, what God was doing there is what God is always doing and that he's always calling us to be partners with him in the work that he wants to do in the world. And one of the great things about having a heart that's grateful and joyful and full of joy is that we can begin to throw ourselves into the space where God invites us to walk as partners. And, and he always invites us to bring everything that we have, our time and our talent and our treasure, and to throw it in to the work of his kingdom. And the work of his kingdom can be done in a place like this, like Schweitzer, where the work of his kingdom can be done as we engage and we take the love that he's given to us and extend it to, to other places. Last week, there's, I want to show you one more picture. Um, I think this picture was on the screen last week. It's of, of uh, Diana Hamlet. And she's surrounded by, I think in that picture, about 43 stuffed animals. Um, Diana's story was uh, on a local television station. And they, they said a lot of great things and they, about, about that story. But I want to read to you the note that Diana sent to her friends inviting them to her birthday party where they surrounded her with these items. Diana said, I believe that it's important for police officers to have stuffed animals to give to kids so that they have something to comfort them while they are in the foster care system. When I was five years old, the police came to my home and took me and my sister to the Division of Family Services. I was very scared to be taken away from my parents. And the police officer gave me a stuffed animal and it made me feel safer. I remember being in foster care and having my stuffed animal with me. For this reason, I would like to donate stuffed animals to the police department instead of getting gifts for my birthday. This is what a girl who's getting ready to become a teenager, who has a heart that is full of gratitude and gratefulness, does. She begins to ask, her ask herself the question, how can I take this gift, this blessing that's been given to me and extend it to somebody else? Diana's story is beginning to shape a lot of things, and her parents today told me that it's beginning to extend the story into the school where Diana goes and into other places. And a spare bedroom that they have is beginning to reflect that this story is gaining bigger traction and bigger ground because love expressed in action begins to bless others. And lightning strikes and the air is different. And for a moment, the veil between heaven and earth is pulled back and you see you see in this story and all kinds of other stories, God's action that is present and close to us. And do we hear God's invitation? How will you jump in, enter in? How will you not only breathe the air, but help be a part of creating the air? On Thursday, you're gonna gather with somebody you'll probably have a table full of people that you're gathered with. 
What will you say in that moment? How will you crack the air?